Now, Penelope J. Stokes, in her book, Simple Words of Wisdom, 52 Virtues for Every Woman, she tells about a very gripping scene from the movie Amistad. Now, if you're familiar with that movie, you know that it was a group of Africans who were illegally seized and brought to America by slave traders. Now, on the boat Amistad, as they're coming over, the Africans break free. They kill most of their captors and then they take the ship, but they can't get it back to Africa. And eventually they're caught and they're brought to trial. And while they're on, while they're waiting for their trial, they're watching wonder and confusion as a group of local Christians gathered together to pray for them. It's some sort of dance, one of the Africans suggests as the Christians get down on their knees to pray. It can't be, his friend replies. They're too miserable to be dancing. <laughs> now, of course, when those lines came out, everybody watching the movie in the movie theater laughed. And from that point on, the abolitionist Christians who came to lend their support are referred to by the mutineers as the miserable ones. Now, my friends, I just tell that story to say it's sad and a significant commentary on how the world has come to view those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Many in our midst are kind of seen as the miserable ones, the people who have no sense of humor, no joy, and no love in life. You know, my friends, it should not be this way. We are told over and over and over again in Holy Scripture to be joyful. You know, the great preacher and evangelist Billy Sunday once said that if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity. Christmas is meant to be a time of joy. And in all of the stories from Christmas, the biblical stories, even to the secular stories, there is a theme of joy. We see it again and again, right? We see a broken nutcracker that saves the princess and becomes a prince. We see the original Scrooge takes a good look at his miserable life and then is transformed by joy. Or what about this one? Some guy named George loses everything and then discovers his wife, his life is pretty wonderful after all, right? Yet you know what? Joy goes beyond these Hollywood recreations of fantasy. Because joy at Christmas is real. Angels bring good news of great joy to shepherds. Wise men respond with exceedingly great joy. 
And when a pregnant Mary encounters a pregnant Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaps inside Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy. So that's a good question. How do we plug our joy leak? How do we move from being the miserable ones to being the joy-filled ones? Well, step one is rather quite simple. Trust God. Trust God. You know, joy is an absolutely interesting word, right? You can't create an opposite by adding an un or a dis. That's what we normally do, right? If you have pleasure, and then if you, what's the opposite of pleasure? Displeasure? What about happiness? What's the opposite of happiness? Unhappiness? Do you realize there is no disjoy or unjoy in our language? Joy is something that can take place no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. You know, when Christian missionaries first went to the northern part of Alaska, they began to seek ways to translate the Bible into the language of the Eskimos. After some time, they realized that there was no word in the Eskimo language for joy. And so they began to study the culture even more deeply. And finally, they chose a word for joy that was based on what they saw as one of the most joyful experiences in the Eskimos' daily lives. They decided that the most joyful moment in those Eskimos' villages were in the evenings, because it was in the evenings that they fed their dogs. And these dogs that they relied on for their livelihood and relied on for life itself pulled their sleds. In the evening, they would go out to feed them. And not only did they go out to feed them, but the children would come out and play with them. And so it was such a great community event. And the dogs would start to yelp with joy. And their tails just would not stop wagging. It was such a wonderful time of anticipation and of excitement and of just enjoying the company of the village with all of their dogs. So you know what they pulled? The word that they pulled from that experience as they translated the Bible into Eskimo, into a language? The word joy was actually, if you literally translate it this way, it was the wagging of their tails. Now, the result is when you translate this passage that talks about the disciples seeing Jesus after he rose from the dead, and the disciples were filled with joy. I mean, the Eskimo translation literally says, the disciples saw the risen Christ and they wagged their tails. (laughs) Now my friends, a tail wagging event is described by Elizabeth to Mary in Luke chapter one, verses 44 and 45. 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary trusts in the Lord. And because she trusts, she finds joy. I find that amazing. You mean to tell me the thing that I need to do more if I want to find more joy is to not trust in myself, but to trust solely in God, to put my faith in God? It's only by trusting God that we really can find true joy. Because that's actually what we're reminded of in Psalms 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in God and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to God in song. You know, the power of our joy flows out of our relationship with Jesus. If you take Jesus out, then you're going to take joy out. Maybe that's another way to say it, my friends. If you're not experiencing joy, then maybe you ought to focus more keenly on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you truly have that, joy is going to emanate. Joy is going to come into who you are. And it's going to be unmistakable. You may have heard of the sad case of the Detroit, Detroit's Joy of Jesus ministry, right? Here was a social program that offered job training along with a Bible lesson, prayer, and faith-centered discussions. And it would help people with their problems. The Michigan officials were so impressed with the, the ministry success ratio that they offered state funding. And the funding came with just one condition. Give up prayer and Bible study. Well, you know, the ministry was kind of wondering, you know, they always needed money. And so they decided, hey, they reluctantly agreed. And the result? Where once the program had placed 60% of its students in jobs, the program's success rate after a year of state backing, dropped 20%. Yeah, that's no small thing, huh? Eventually, the ministry returned to state money and got back to its original mission. Its original mission was the joy of Jesus. And they returned to a 60% success rate. Do you realize that that's our original mission as well? Joy in Jesus? And that's what we need to remember, especially during the season of Advent and Christmas. And step two. Step two is to keep your priorities in order. Jesus, others, and you. You know, Mary sings of her, of God as her number one priority. You know, we refer to the poem that we read here in Luke's gospel as the Magnificat. 
you know, Mary magnifies the Lord. And that's what she does. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. Joni Erickson Tata knows about joy. You see, Joni is a quadriplegic. She is physically impaired due to a driving accident. And she has a prime excuse to wallow in despair. But she knows about joy. Joni tells a very powerful story about being surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference. One woman said, Oh, Joni, oh, Joni, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish that I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. And then one asked, So, Joni, how do you do it? Joni glanced at the nicely dressed women who were around her. She knew that the break was soon going to be over. How could she answer this woman's question in about 60 seconds? How could she sum up in a soundbite what had taken her three decades to learn? She said this, I don't do it. As you can imagine, that raised eyebrows. She goes on to say, in fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning. Several women leaned against the counter and listened intently. Well, she breathed deeply and she said this, this is an average day. After my husband Ken leaves for work around 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when my friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. And Lord, I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't even have a smile to take into the day. But God, I know that you do. So Lord, may I have your smile? Oh God, I desperately need you today. One of the women asked, so what happens when your friend finally comes through the bedroom door? And she said, I turn my head. I turn my head towards her and I give her a smile that comes straight from heaven. And know this, it is not mine. That smile that I smile, it belongs to God. And so, she said as she then looked at her arms and her legs, whatever joy you see today, that joy was hard won this morning. 
The women in the restroom were silent. And, Joni said, it really is the only way to live. It's the Christian way to live. My friends, when it comes to loving, when it comes to living, when it comes to serving in God, our priorities have to be Jesus, others, and you. Now, did you see the clever thing we did there? Jesus, others, and you, what does that spell? Joy. You're not going to forget it now, right? That's how you're going to have it. That's how you're going to get it in this season of Advent, in this season of Christmas. Step three. Step three is to rejoice. Rejoice no matter what life brings. Understand that God is your Savior. Mary starts her song of praise with, My soul glorifies, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God who is my Savior. Now, I hope you understand this because this, sometimes we read the Bible and we kind of lose our sense of humor. And I really think that's a tragedy. We shouldn't lose our sense of humor. Because sometimes when we read people about people in the Bible and people of faith, and we think, gosh, that just sounds like what they should do. I'm here to tell you, it really isn't normal, okay? It's, it's kind of weird. And here's what I mean by that. Mary's response, I mean, here she is. More than likely, she's 14 years old. And she has her whole life in front of her. She is going to get married. And she's going to start her own household. I mean, this is an exciting time in her life. She's ready. And then God says, oh, wait, I got something else. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a teenage pregnancy. And you know what? Nobody in your village is going to know. But you will. And Joseph will. That you're carrying a baby that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, let's be honest here. It doesn't tell us this in the Bible, but why did she go see Elizabeth for three months? <laughs> She's got to be getting tired of all the talking going around in her little community. But here she is. She stays focused on Jesus even in the midst of everything, all the ways that her life has been turned upside down. Now, I don't know about you. This is what I mean is weird. If that happened to me, we wouldn't be talking about Jason's Magnificat and how I rejoiced in the Lord, right? Because my life was turned upside down. It doesn't take much for me to complain at all, right? I complained today when I went out to get coffee and there wasn't anybody because people had drank all the coffee and I thought, I think not having coffee in a church is up there like it's a sin somehow. <laughs> And I can't even get any. I mean, I was moaning all, you know, and next thing somebody saw me like, here, here's, I'll give you my cup, Pastor, just stop. <laughs> if this was me, this, this would be a poem, but it would be called Jason's Lament about how I had been wronged in life. 
But that's not what Mary does. Mary bursts into poetry, bursts into song, bursts into joy because she trusts in God. I mean, that's just powerful. And so the challenge for all of us today is when problems kind of come at you, you know, one of the games I always loved at Chuck E. Cheese, because I think I got a lot of aggression out on this game, was that game called Whack-A-Mole, <laughs> right? Because they just keep popping up and you keep just banging it. There's something very therapeutic about that game, I must say. But isn't that kind of a great metaphor for life? That our problems just come at us fast and furious and all we feel like is we're just playing whack-a-mole with our problems? Instead of just playing whack-a-mole, what if we ever stopped and gave thanks? And said, Lord, even in the midst of the problems that are coming at us fast and furious, I can give thanks. I can be joyful. I can make sure to keep my focus and my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that from that, I can start looking to others and then looking at myself. Joy comes when we realize that no matter what life brings us, God got personal and came into the world in Jesus the Christ. And Jesus is our Savior. Amen, brother. That's what we got. And it's enough. It's more than enough. It's why we should be a people of joy. People shouldn't look at us and go, oh, there's the Christians, the miserable ones. They ought to look at us and go, man, I want what you have. I see your joy. The great author... Robert Louis Stevenson once said, to miss joy is to miss everything. Well, my friends, our joy in Christmas is Jesus. And so if you miss Jesus, I'm here to tell you, not only have you missed joy, you've missed everything. So let's make sure we get it right. And we focus on Jesus, and the joy will come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.